Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wegovy and Zepbound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com/weightloss. That's plushcare.com/weightloss. plushcare.com/weightloss. Hello and welcome to Unheard. I'm Freddie Sayers. Remember the Great Barrington Declaration? We certainly do because we broke the story here at Unheard when we interviewed the three main authors of it, Professors J. Bhattacharya, Sunetra Gupta of Oxford and Martin Kuldorf of Harvard on the very day that they signed it in Great Barrington, Massachusetts. It was somewhat of a watershed moment in the history of the pandemic because suddenly three renowned global experts had come together to insist that there is another way to approach COVID than lockdowns and mandatory vaccinations. Well, now, some years later, a case is making its way through the courts in the United States that could have historic implications for science, for tech censorship, and for the principles of academic freedom. Two of the authors, Jay Bhattacharya and Martin Kuldorf, are claiming that social media unlawfully silenced them and other matters on instructions in collusion with the federal government, and in particular one Anthony Fauci, who at the time was the chief medical advisor to the government. Well, one of these names, Professor Bhattacharya, who is something of a friend of the show, is joining us today live from Stamford, alongside one of the lawyers involved, Janine Yunis, from the New Civil Liberties Alliance. Welcome both. Nice to meet you. Um, so Jay, can we start with you? Great to see you again, first of all. Um, give us a bit of an update here. W what is the background for this legal case? What do you think happened to you and to other people during the pandemic that you think is worthy of actually bringing a case to the courts? Well, I think what happened, Freddie, is that there was a coordinated campaign, a propaganda campaign that sought to silence critics of the government's censorship policies. Uh, and, and so there's a lot of evidence of this from my own personal interactions with social media. And in particular, they use social media to, to, uh, to, to, to do this, uh, uh, to, to, to sort of, uh, they use both the social media and the press to, to either both discredit and censor people who disagreed with the lockdown policies. Uh, uh, just to give you some sense of what happened after we wrote the Great Barrington Declaration, uh, and this we know from uh, Freedom of Information Act requests of of, uh, of from the of the government. Four days after we wrote that declaration, Freddie, uh, after tens of thousands of scientists had signed on to it, you know, as you recall, it, it called for a uh, a focused protection approach to, uh, to 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 protecting older people vulnerable and lifting lockdowns. Uh, four days after we wrote it, the head of the National Institute of Health, uh, Francis Collins, 
wrote an email to Tony Fauci calling me, uh, Sinatra Gupta of Oxford and Martin Kulldorff of Harvard, fringe epidemiologists. And in that email, he called for a devastating takedown of the premises of the Great Barrington Declaration. Um, we, the, the, that, what, what happened next was reporters started calling me, asking me why I was wanting to let the virus rip, let, let grand, make grandma die, you know, that, that, that sort of thing. Um, and uh, when, you know, when we called for focus protection. And what ha- that also what happened was that we started getting censored on social media. Uh, Google de-boosted our results. So there's a story uh, it, shortly after we did, uh, we wrote the declaration. We put up a web page and the web page was, you know, normally you type in Great Barrington Declaration. Just, there aren't any other ones. So it, you would expect it to be kind of near the top. But, but it was they, they de-boosted the results in many, many countries. Um, they uh, we got we got uh, uh, later we, we made a Facebook page that they censored for a week with no explanation. Uh the uh, the uh, the 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 conversation around the Great Barrington Declaration was suppressed on social media to a large extent uh, to, to the extent that that uh, there's still many people who have not heard of it yet, Brady, uh, which is an astonishing thing given that t- the you know it's essentially represented the mainstream position from before the pandemic and it had you know as signatories tens of thousands of scientists and epidemiologists, Nobel Prize winners. Um, it should have sparked a very broad conversation. Instead, it was suppressed by the media, smeared, uh, smear, smear, the authors that were, were smeared, um, and social media worked to suppress it. And is your complaint primarily with the social media companies? I mean, you mentioned Facebook and others there, in which case it's another case of social media censorship, or, or is your complaint with the federal government? It's with the federal government, Freddie. So I, 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 it's, it's one thing, of course, for social media to decide to censor things. I, I suppose that I, I don't think they really should have that right. But, it, you know, I, I guess it's a, that's a that's a debatable thing. Um, but the federal government of the United States does not have the right, as far as I'm, I'm concerned, uh, to to work together with private industry to suppress, to silence, to censor a, a viewpoint that they don't like. Um, and what, what, we, what I've seen is uh, both from... FOIA emails, FOIA you know, Freedom of Information Act emails uh, that from inside the inside the government that there was actually coordination between social media and uh, and the government to do this, where social media essentially acted like stooges of the government, that they they were uh, in effect responding to suggestions, orders, you know whatnot from the federal government. They looked to the federal government for direction about what viewpoints to censor, even in some cases particular people to censor. Um, so it's it's a uh, it's it's not simply social media decide on its own that it's going to you know doesn't like the Great Barrington Declaration or whatnot. What what it, what it looks like to me is that the government told social media these people are social social outcasts. These people are are have low set social credit scores in effect. Uh, these people have are, are are saying dangerous things and should not be should not be permitted to be on your platforms or at least not fairly represented on your platforms without some. Uh, some overlay of, of, you know, these people are dangerous people. So I guess what you've described is something we're pretty familiar with now. Even Unheard has been the victim of some of these, what we would consider unreasonable acts of censorship. But what's new here is that there might be some legal recourse. Uh, who do you sue and, and what legal basis is there for that? So Janine Younes, give us a bit of the legal side of this. What is the basis of the legal case? Sure. So the um, lawsuit is against the federal government, the Biden administration and various agencies. And we're alleging that the government coerced the social media companies or coordinated with uh, sort of both 
um, into censoring people. So the First Amendment is pretty clear that the government can't uh, censor people based on their viewpoints because they have disfavored views or they, they say things the government disagrees with. But um, the government also can't use private companies to accomplish what it can't do directly. And we're alleging that that's exactly what happened here. Uh, now, it's also important to note that the government members of the Biden administration, Biden himself, his press secretary, uh, Jennifer Psaki at the time, uh, Surgeon General Vivek Murthy, they made public statements on the record multiple times over the course of a year or more telling the tech companies they weren't doing enough, they had to censor more people when it came to COVID misinformation, and if they didn't do more, they'd be held accountable legally. So um, a lot of the emails that we have sort of make it look as though uh, the tech companies are, are they want to coordinate with the government, right? They're like, we're so eager to work with you, but I, it's our contention that they have to be viewed against the backdrop of this coercive um, atmosphere and they, the federal government has the power to do these things, right? They have the power to make good on these threats. And the companies have long feared legal consequences and regulation. So that's exactly what's going on here. And um, to the extent, even if the companies want to do it, uh, it, that's also a First Amendment violation. Now, it's a little different. And there are people who would say if private companies want to do what the government asks, they can do that. And that's not First Amendment action. Sorry, First Amendment actionable. Um, I argue that I would argue that's not the case. And once uh, private companies are doing the government's bidding and acting of arms as, as arms of the government, they're essentially government actors and they are they have to abide by constitutional strictures. So did you choose to go after the federal government instead of one or more of the social media companies because you thought you'd have more chance of success? And that's a more convincing case. What was the strategy here? Well, um, for one, our office doesn't sue private companies. So that in terms of my uh, wanting to get at this, that was one reason. But I also think it's a much harder theory. Now, there are uh, a couple cases dealing with uh, lawsuits against the tech companies themselves. Um, and they have not been successful on First Amendment claims. One, uh, Alex Berenson's lawsuit, people may have heard of him. Um, he has a lawsuit against Twitter. The judge ordered discovery and it showed that the government had uh, coordinated with Twitter and basically demanded that Twitter remove him. Um, his First Amendment claims were dismissed, but he uh, his contractual claims were allowed to proceed. So he alleged that Twitter had breached its contract with him. I think that is a hard case for most people. It works for him because there's direct proof that, the, that um, Twitter breached its um, contract with him. And also because he had a huge account and he was making a profit off of it. Most people don't have that. So they, they wouldn't be able to sue for money damages in the same way. There's already been some encouraging news, right? The, the court, instead of throwing it out, which some people had feared, have, have allowed it as a legitimate legal case. Tell us about that. Yeah, so the court has allowed uh, discovery to proceed. We're at the preliminary injunction phase. So that's an emergency motion basically saying um, the court needs to do something fast because people are suffering irreparable harm. Our plaintiffs are suffering irreparable harm. A deprivation of First Amendment rights is such a harm. Um, so it's very rare for judges to order discovery at that phase, but the judge agreed that we were entitled to this information. So we got a lot of emails, um, emails mostly between the tech companies and uh, the government. Um, showing really high levels of coordination and that they, you know, the gov government officials are telling them you should do this, you should remove this sort of content. In some cases, even you should remove these people. And they're saying, okay, we're doing that. So. And 
just to go back to, to Jay, if I could, one name that came up a lot during that discovery was that of Anthony Fauci. Um, this is someone who's become a bit of a kind of bet noir of people on one side of the argument. What involvement did he have, do you think? And, and why was he so keen to dismiss your ideas? Well, uh, we don't know yet. I mean, I think the discovery is still proceeding. Uh, the, the, we do know that there were emails between him and Mark Zuckerberg very early in the pandemic, uh, which basically it, it was an offer first from Mark Zuckerberg uh, to help the federal government uh, with its pandemic response. Um, and large parts of the emails that I've seen on that were redacted. So I can't really comment on exactly what it said. But uh, but we do know that Tony Fauci accepted the offer from help from Mark Zuckerberg, and that we also know that 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 Facebook implemented a very systematic regime of censorship of ideas after that. Um, that it it, it it systematically made sure that any ideas that were contrary to the what the CDC, what the what the NIH would, wanted out there would either be censored altogether, users would be tossed off the platform or the ideas would be labeled often unfairly, in, inaccurately with something that would say, you know, the, the CDC doesn't think this is true or something like that. If you want more information or just, you know, straightforward applications of misinformation. So we know that for a fact that Tony Fauci was cooperating with Mark Zuckerberg from emails from early, early in the pandemic. You asked me about what the, what the motives were. I think the key motive is that if you're going to implement something as as extensive, as damaging, as, as with such widespread impact as a lockdown, um, you have to have scientific consensus. You cannot, under any circumstances, implement something this, something like this, unless it's truly the case that that you know that there is no contrary reasonable opinion about this within the scientific community. And I think Tony Fauci, in particular, wanted to create an illusion of that scientific consensus that did not exist. It didn't exist in March of 2020, and frankly, it never existed. Uh, as you can see, when we wrote the Great Branch Declaration in October of 2020, just a few months later, so many scientists had signed on to it. Uh, it. Even if you say that there are many scientists on the other side, the point is that there was a debate going on inside the scientific community. And Tony Fauci and the federal government in the United States could not abide by that, the existence of a debate, because they implemented an extraordinary policy that required absolute consensus. There's some details in your case. I've been looking at the, um, the the detail of it, and you mentioned some other aspects of Anthony Fauci's career, and I just want to bring that up because because you guys did. I'm quoting here: prior to 2020, as head of NIAID, Dr. Fauci had overseen funding of risky gain-of-function research on viruses, including research at the Wuhan Institute of Virology. This included research funded through intermediaries such as Dr. Peter Daszak and the EcoHealth Alliance, among others. Why are you bringing that up? Is that because the, the controversy over the so-called lab leak theory was another one of these issues that was censored? Or, or why is that relevant to your case? Uh, that, that absolutely is another example of censorship. Uh, so uh, we, again, we know from early emails between Tony Fauci and, and many, uh, some of the other scientists involved in that, uh, in, in that gain-of-function kind of work, that they coordinated together to create, again, an illusion of consensus that, that, that the, a, a natural origin was, was certain, that a lab leak story was, a, was essentially a racist idea that you shouldn't, you shouldn't bring up. They again, it's the same modus operandi, they used the power they had 
to create a, an illusion of consensus about a scientific fact that was in fact still in dispute, still, uh, still I think it's still in dispute, um, and uh, suppressed and censored and smeared people on, uh, the, uh, on the other side of that, scientists, people on the other side of that debate, using tools like the press, using tools like social media censorship. Uh, if, you, if you posted about that early on the pandemic, you would get censored by social media. It is very, very likely that the government, at, at the, specifically using, uh, at the orders of the NIH, uh, coordinated with social media to create that environment where people could not have those discussions online. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a T-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Just to be clear then, I mean, this so-called lab leak theory for any audience members who don't know is the idea that instead of being a natural virus that just emerged, it was somehow created at the Wuhan Institute of Technology in China, whether it escaped, whether it was released or whatever. And, and I think this has now become quite a mainstream option. Um, it's no longer a fringe idea, if that was the, the word he'd like to use. But is your suggestion that Anthony Fauci was particularly anxious about that because of his own history sort of encouraging and funding that research. And so he almost had a sort of personal axe to grind. I mean, there's, there's no question that he was a champion of gain-of-function work in the years leading up to the, the pandemic, uh, that he, in particular, personally approved grants from the NIH to the, uh, the EcoHealth Alliance, which is this organization that worked very closely, an American organization at part, that worked very closely with the, uh, uh, the Wuhan Institute of Virology, uh, where they were doing studies and research on gain of uh, gain of function work on back coronaviruses um so yeah so i think his his role very directly connected to this is certainly seems like to me a a, a, a 
motive for why there was a cover-up that he himself helped organize in the early days of the, of the pandemic, January, February 2020. Janine Yunez, is Anthony Fauci named as one of the defendants in this case? Is it just the federal government generally? T- tell us about who's actually in the dock here. Well, there are a lot. <laughs> I, I don't have them memorized, but yes, he's named. Um, so Biden is named uh, his press secretary. And so it's the offices that tend to be named. So when you say Saki, now it's the new press secretary, um, Jean-Pierre. Um, HHS, so a lot of agencies, Jen Easterly, who's the head of CISA, uh, because the Department of Homeland Security um, had quite a bit to do with this. Um, CISA is, is an agency within it that deals with cybersecurity issues. Uh, and we didn't actually know about DHS's involvement until much more recently. We thought it was just HHS and CDC. Um, but you're, you're suing them then as, an, an, as part of the government rather than as individuals? Right, yes. They're being sued in their official capacity. So they can't be held personally responsible. Um, it's very, very hard to, to hold government officials um, personally responsible for anything they can argue they did in their official capacity. So Janine, what does success look like in this case? I mean, are we talking payouts? Are we talking new laws that make it impossible in the future or, or important precedent? What does success look like? That's a great question. Um, we are not suing for money damages, so uh, so no money here. What we want is for a court to recognize that the government and social media companies cannot work together to censor people based on viewpoint, and the government also can't coerce them. Neither under neither of those theories, um, is, neither of those things are constitutional. Um, and I think it's extremely important going forward. It's it's sort of one of the first types of cases to raise these claims because of the nature of social media being relatively new. And I don't know that there ever was such a high level and extensive coordination before this. So I think it's really, really important for courts to um, recognize this is not okay going forward. Otherwise, I mean, if if, the, if if that doesn't happen, then that means that the government and social media companies can coordinate to silence people. And social media is the new public square. I mean, if you lose your Twitter account for many, many people, you're losing your voice and the ability to influence and uh, influence public opinion. So I think this case is really important. And do you think it will go all the way? I mean, if, if you're, is it at the state level now, if there's a verdict that goes your way, do you think the government will appeal it? Do you think this is headed for the Supreme Court? Uh, yeah, yeah, that's likely. So right now it's in a federal district court, which is the lowest federal court in uh, the Western District of Louisiana. And then the next step is the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals, and then the Supreme Court would be next. Um, I would be surprised if it didn't at least reach the Fifth Circuit, and I think it, there's a chance it'll reach the Supreme Court at some point. Jay, why are you doing this? I mean, you've <laughs> you've been through the wars uh, during this pandemic. You were li- living the quiet life as an esteemed uh, <laughs> academic, uh, and now you've sort of entered this, I guess it's become something of a culture war or just a major disagreement in our society. Does this case not just make you even more in the spotlight, giving you even more trouble? Why, why are you doing it? Yeah, I mean, I, I, it has been tremendously stressful. I spent most of my career, I'd never written an op-ed before uh, March 2020, Freddie. Um, uh, it, it's so it, I, it would love it would be lovely to go back to being a, a, a scientist um, or just a scientist, I guess. Um, the the problem here is that it's impossible if you have a scientific idea that's contrary to what uh, some other very powerful people think uh, to to express it. That's that's bad for science. Uh, my my primary motivation here is to create to recreate or have to maybe regain. Uh, an environment where 
active scientific work can happen. Uh, it has to be possible for people to have contrary ideas within science that, that then have fair discussion within it with the government not weighing in on what side it wants to take, with the, with the media then not responding to those government or effectively orders, uh, and, and then responding by smearing scientists on the, on the disfavored side. That creates an environment where science can't happen. It's something else. It's, it's, it looks like science, but it's not actually science. So my main motivation here is to try to use the, the tools uh, that the American society has, and the First Amendment being the primary one, um, that, that to, to permit science to work again the way it ought to work. What about universities? Is that another phase of this campaign? It feels like what you're focusing on here is the relationship between the government and social media, but the universities weren't exactly stellar in defending their own academics from these attacks. In fact, I remember your own institution, among others, at least Stanford University, was, was very quiet when some of its top academics were being smeared. Is there another precedent that needs to be set or another case that needs to happen to make sure that universities need to behave in a different way? There, there, sh there should be, ready. I mean, I think uh, I haven't had the emotional bandwidth to fight the fight at Stanford. I just, it's, been, it's been too hard on the, on, uh, in the public sphere. Uh, but it is absolutely the case that the universities also failed at this. Uh, prominent academics lost their jobs, some for, just for signing the Great Barrington Declaration. Many lost their opportunities for grant, grant applications, collaborations. Uh, the universities permitted a hostile work environment against people, uh, prominent people who dis disagreed with the, the, uh, the, the supposed consensus over lockdowns. Uh, I think part of the, the motivation, at least on the, in American universities, has to do with the fact that many prominent American universities are funded in large part by the government. Uh, they, when the government decides that one side is, 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 is right, they have a, a tremendous influence on what universities do. Um, that is definitely a fight that needs to happen, Freddie, but this, that's not this particular lawsuit. And uh, frankly, I, that, that, <laughs> I'm going to have to decide very carefully whether I have the emotional bandwidth for that. It's connected to this whole idea of misinformation, isn't it? You know, if you did a Google Trends search of that word, it would barely have been searched for a few years ago. And now it's the kind of mo it's the word that you hear everywhere. And it's, it's this idea that some ideas you can kind of put in a special category of, of misleading and wrong, and therefore they should be banned from the public square. Uh, is it your view that that whole campaign should just stop and that there shouldn't be such a thing as misinformation? Or do you think we should still talk about misinformation, just be more careful about how we use it? I think we should get rid of it altogether. There's now an academic movement to try to identify misinformation using what appears to be scientific tools. But here's the problem, Freddie. How do you decide? Who gets to decide what is misinformation or not? I, do we really have, there's no godlike person that knows the scientific truth from the beginning, for, you know, before even the science is done. Uh, that's what's happened here, that, that there, was a, there was a consensus uh, reached, supposedly, uh, and enforced long before the science had actually been done, when there was still tremendous scientific controversy about, about these things. There is no person or set a small set of people who know the, the God's known God's truth that just doesn't exist in science. What happens is um, you have ideas, they conflict with other ideas, you do experiments, and over time it can, uh, people start to say, okay, well these ideas are right and these ideas seem wrong, um, and, but they're still open to revision. Um, what, now you can have flat out misinformation, but the way you address that is by putting out good information. Someone says, 
you know, you inject someone with a vaccine, you put, I don't even know what the, how to say the theory, like you get magnets or something. I'm not, I don't even know, I don't know what they, what they mean. But the, the response to that isn't to, to censor those people. The response to that is to say, look, this, this theory makes no sense. Here's the evidence. Um, and, you know, the government can play some role in that. The government does play a role in putting out scientific information. I don't think, I'm, I have no problem with that. But then to use the social media companies to censor those other voices, I think it just, often it just highlights them. It gives it more prominence than they deserve. Uh, those, those, those crazy theories about 5G and, and vaccine, I, I, again, I don't even know what the substance of the theories are. Uh, but the only reason I know the theories exist at all is because the government has told me that these, these things are misinformation. I never would have paid any attention to them otherwise. Yeah, so it drives it underground and then it comes back twice as strong. And yeah. Janine, what kind of chances of success do you think we have? What, what should we be looking at, do you think? Is it a 50% chance, a 30% chance? How confident are you that this will produce? <laughs> I hate to make predictions. I think, it's, I think it's a very good chance of success. I will say it's just completely novel. There's really nothing like this. I mean, there are sort of some cases that you can draw from that have some similarity, but uh, because of the nature of social media, there's never been anything like this before. I mean, if you know, some of the closest cases are like the Pentagon Papers case, for instance, where the government tells the New York Times they can't print uh, this sort of, you know, uh, stuff about the, the Pentagon Papers. But, you know, that's different because it's not silencing Americans en masse, kind of, to the, to the degree that this does. Um, so it's, it's really hard for me to predict. I think any court that looks at this and understands the First Amendment and understands the implications here uh, should find in our favor. And if you're successful, it potentially has very major implications, doesn't it? Because it means that social media companies will then have a precedent that they can point to and say, well, no, if they get an email from a senior government official saying, hey, will you uh, silence those guys? We don't like what they're saying. They will then hopefully respond and say, well, since that law case, we can't do that. I'm sorry. That's not our business. I mean, Jay, Jay, do you, is that what we're hoping for here? An actual sea change in how censorship takes place? That is exactly what I'm hoping for. That, uh, I mean, I think to me the legal case is important, obviously, but I think the, the even more important is a norm inside the government and a norm inside American society, and I hope world societies, um, that will say, look, this is not right. Whenever the government approaches a social media company and says, oh yeah, you should censor this kind of idea, the social media companies just say, go fly a kite. It should, they should say, they should have as its, as their, uh, as their sort of like uh, uh, knee-jerk reaction, no, I'm not going to do this. It, it, you know, I think media and, and government, there ought to be a bit of an adversarial relationship, just like there is with, uh, and, and to have it so that they're colluding with each other to suppress ideas, to, to sort of create narratives that, that, aren't, that, that may not be true, um, I think it's just, a, it's, just a, it's bad for society and that we should create, and, and hopefully... Cases like this, uh, after we win, will create social norms so that these sorts of activities are seen as, as you know, tawdry, not right, in, in, uh, inconsistent with the, the norms of, of liberal governance. Jay, I have to ask you one more question before I let you go, which is, last time we spoke, there was still quite a lot of pressure, a lot of tense atmosphere around these questions. It feels to me, I'm sitting in the UK, but it feels to me like the atmosphere has changed. And if anything, the argument has been decided or is in the process of being decided much more in your favor. Do you feel that? Do you, do you walk down the streets of Stamford and <laughs> see more smiles and fewer people turning away? 
Yeah, I do. I think I, I there's just like sense of people wanting to move on, uh, and I don't get death threats every time I go on TV anymore. So there's so maybe that there's like one data point. It's positive. Um, <laughs> um, but uh, but it, and, and, I, and I, I also think that people very widely view the lockdowns, if not a complete failure, I, I believe it was a complete public health disaster, uh, damaging the lives of, of millions and millions of people. But even if they don't agree with that, they also, they most of the part think that it, what did it do? What did it accomplish? Most everyone got COVID anyways. Um, and so what was the point of it? Um, so I think that that consensus is emerging um, I, I, don't, I, you know, Freddie, I think we had a lot of hard experience to get to that consensus. I think even in October 2020, although it felt like we were the fringe in October 2020, so many scientists really did agree with us. But yeah, they censored themselves because of the because of exactly the kind of campaign that that lawsuits are meant to meant to fight against. So I think um, it's not surprising we won. This was the old pandemic plan. Uh, you know, the Great Britain Declaration was the old pandemic plan. Um, it reflected a century of wisdom. Um, I mean, I don't, I'm not, it's, it's frankly the least original thing I ever wrote in my life. So uh, I, I'm not surprised it turned out to be right. Well, Jay, if we are back to something more like a normal atmosphere, it is in no small part thanks to people like you, who during those dark days continued to put your point of view across fearlessly. So uh, thank you for that. Whether people agree with you or not, we certainly support people being able to put their point of view across. We'll be watching with interest how the legal case proceeds. And thank you so much for telling us about it. Thank you so much. Thank you, Freddie. Well, there you have it. That was Professor Jay Bhattacharya and one of the lawyers on his legal case called Janine Yunez. This might feel like a small deal. It's a case that is currently in the district court in Louisiana. Nobody's paying it very much attention. But if they're successful, this potentially makes history because it will change the government's ability to get involved in what they deem to be correct or incorrect information that social media companies are allowed to put out. And it will hopefully make people on all sides a little bit more wary before trying to silence opinions that they don't happen to like. Thanks to Janine and Jay, and thanks to you for tuning in. This was Unheard. 